There are some advantages to growing older, uh, one of which I recognized this last week as we, as we were considering the uh, conversation that was going on in the, uh, around the table where we were. It had been uh, years, more than a decade, that I had to sit down with one of my kids and work through math. And it was interesting to hear the conversation, the challenges of helping those that may not be as excited about math as others. And as you see from this next screen, the conversation came to this where the statement was, math, solve your own problems. And uh, as I thought about that and how that fit with what we are discussing today, I saw that this little division sign is one of the key issues or problems uh, that they would have had in Crete uh, when uh, Titus was receiving instructions from Paul as he came to the churches there to help them out and how to solve those problems of division. You take your Bible, please, and turn to Titus chapter 3, and I encourage you, if you would, as you have found the scriptures, to stand with me as we, as we read. We're going to start with verse 8 and read through verse 11. Please stand, uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Father, as we look at this passage and as we consider other passages that are pertinent to helping us work through issues that may uh, keep us from experiencing division, Lord, as we consider the challenges, not only in this church, but in the church as a whole. Uh, as I think of many of my friends in, in Baptist churches around our country and the amount of challenges that they have uh, been experiencing. The division, not based necessarily on doctrine, but on perspective of how to treat a pandemic. The divisions that are based upon how to deal with racial injustice. Father, there's divisions in a variety of facets of how to uh, uh, work through issues and how to move forward in the whole disciple-making process. And Father, as we have opportunity today to look at this passage and for these dear folk here to contemplate how that uh, unity and how that the avoidance of division applies to them, that you will give them great clarity. May they be encouraged by your word today, but also help them to uh, be, uh, be convinced or convicted of the things that they need to do to be a part of unity in their congregation. Father, I thank you for the privilege of sharing your word. It is the power. It is what uh, uh, comes into our lives and transforms us. You have given me the privilege over the years and more specifically recently to see hearts 
changed because of the power of your word. What a great joy. And uh, we anticipate your using of your word today as we preach it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. Please be seated. So we're looking at godly pursuit through this whole series. Paul has given Titus this responsibility of coming along the many churches in Crete and helping them put things into order, going to help them have elders to help them in their leadership, make sure that they have the things that they need in a very stepped process, not only the elders, but who the elders would train so they would train others. And so as Paul is completing his message to Titus, he starts with this concept of the negative, and next week we'll look at, Lord willing, the positive as how it applies to people. And in this particular case, he says this, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Many of you are aware that uh, Marty and I are missionaries with Baptist Church Planters. We'll talk more about that next week. But basically, one of my responsibilities as a missionary when I'm not serving as an interim pastor like I am now is to come alongside churches that are in conflict. I am a certified Christian conciliator, and my role is to help people communicate so that they can move away from divisions and work towards unity. Uh, As you may not know, I have privilege of doing that even as I serve you here uh, in probably about a half a dozen churches uh, through uh, uh, video conversations, phone conversations, and uh, a variety of ways. And so God has given us many privileges of coming alongside churches and helping them in the realm of unity and helping them work through some potential division. So please understand, when I preach this message, it's not all about you, okay? Now, there are many individuals and churches that God has placed on our heart to, to be available to and to, to help them through this time. Paul was in a similar situation, not that I would compare myself to him. He had many churches other than Crete. He had other churches that he was concerned about. So when he's sharing with Titus, he's sharing with him not necessarily something specific to them, but something that was a general issue that many of the churches he dealt with had to work through. So, for example, in the book of Romans, that as he wrote to them, and what many uh, uh, have embraced as being a great theological uh, book for us to study from everything from the justification of how we are saved to how we should live that out to our glorification and the practical application in our, in our lives. He says this at the closing of that book as well. He says, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. He also, in talking to the folks at Corinth, uh, takes the time to, to say this. Right in the midst of the book, right as he's talking about the value of communion and doing it right, he says this, for there must be factions. That means that uh, he had said that before. He's talking about the factions that Corinth was experiencing. Uh, the book starts out that way, saying there's those who think that they're of Apollo, so those are Paul, or those are, uh, that, that have found their own uh, leader to follow. And the church was quite divided. 
and they were even kind of divided in regard to the communion. He, but he says this, which is a very interesting to note. He said, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. You see, divisions do have their benefit. Factions do have their uh, opportunities because it gives us an opportunity in those times of pressure and conflict and difficulty to be genuinely following the Lord Jesus Christ. It gives us an opportunity to obey the Word of God and to put our personal preferences and to put our emotions aside and decide to do it God's way. And as we look today, our goal is to deal with how do we deal with this issue of, uh, of divisions and what kind of things do we have in place to, first of all, help us prevent them. I have some preventative measures. Uh, they are starting out by looking at the book of Titus as you would just kind of uh, look through where we've already been. You see right away in chapter 2, verse 1, as he's talking to Titus specifically about his role, he says, teach them sound doctrine. And then later on, he says, urge the young men towards self-control. And then verse 7, show and teach these, these items. And then declare in verse 15. And he starts in chapter 3 with the word remind them. And then just before what, we are, what we're talking about right now is he uses the word insist. So you know there's some preventative measures in the realm of this called the teaching and training. Teaching and training is something that God has given to us to help us actually not only have better knowledge, not only to be able to do the things that please God, but to be able to avoid divisions. The, the teaching is designed to help us to prevent divisions. Now, what are some of the areas in which division comes from a theological perspective? We still, in our society, after all the years that this book has been around to teach us what salvation is about, struggle amongst Christianity or those that claim Christianity as to a clear definition of what it means to be justified in Jesus Christ. We tend to always, we tend to go towards the area of wanting to mingle something in there. That we aren't at the place where we recognize that we're totally destitute without Jesus and we need him completely and we do not just simply add him to it. And yet here today uh, we still struggle with that tendency of that, uh, that, that element of our justification. So it's critical that we teach solidly on that. And so thrilled to hear that taught last Sunday and we had the privilege of teaching it ourselves about the value of justification. Uh, the second area is that of spiritual growth. There are so many different ideas on how we can become better. You have your secular ideas, and we also have our secularized Christianity ideas, where we take a little bit of what the Bible says and a little bit of what the world says, and we come up with a nice, nice package, a very eclectic package of how I can be more successful in the world, or how I can have my best life in this world. And yet we miss out on the fact that the Bible is indeed sufficient to help us become like Jesus Christ. And that we know what we are to be. So often in the secular world, they just want to help you become your best you. But in the Bible, we know it's not about my best me. It's about me becoming more like Jesus Christ. And that the process of growth is all about that. 
Uh, another area that we need to make sure we teach on is that grace versus law. That uh, too often, even though we know that we're saved by grace and not by the law, we still want to function under the law. We want someone to give us rules to live by. We want someone to tell us what we should or shouldn't do because the principles sometimes are just so hard to, uh, to govern our lives because we have to make so many choices and so many decisions and we have to think through so many nuances of what would God be pleased with as I put this thing in, these, these decisions into practice. And so people struggle with the idea of grace versus law. In the counseling uh, room, I have sat across from individuals who have struggled so much with trying to handle the issues of life because they're still trying to see God as the judge of their life and they're trying to please them through their works and trying to see him as someone who's going to be angry with them and they don't realize that God as their heavenly father, when they place their faith in him, when they've taken care of that justification word uh, and they've, they've accepted him as their savior, that they would indeed be able to move forward in grace and to depend upon him through that. And what happens, though, is often because we struggle with the difference of law and grace, we expect other people to live underneath our aspect of law rather than extending them grace. Another area, church polity and how leadership should work out becomes an area that needs to be taught in churches. And churches need to be in unity in regard to this because this becomes a very divisive element in churches. Uh, Faith versus stewardship. Both of those are very important. Uh, We tend to want to dichotomize those. Is this decision based on faith or is this decision based on stewardship? Do we have the capacity of being good stewards and also believing in God and being able to put those two things together? But they can be issues that can divide us, but yet we ought to teach on them to help us think through things, using faith, being good stewards, preference versus directive. How often we get to the place where we have something that we prefer and in our mind we exalt it to a place where it becomes a directive from God. As Marty and I were raising our children, we made sure they understood one thing, that there were going to be rules in our house that they needed to abide by, but that these rules fell into two different categories. We we told them there was a category that never changes, and they come from the Word of God, and these are God's rules. And then we would tell them there were some rules in the house that, quite frankly, were Owen rules. Okay, These were rules that we set up so that we could be uh, more... Better, that we could be better stewards of our parenting, and we expected them to follow those rules as well. But we also told them that when they get to an age where they get to set up their own home, those are the ones that are variable. We did not want them to confuse the fact that all the rules in the Owen home could be variable. We wanted to make sure they understood there's some that are not. The directives and teachings from the Word of God are not. But yet, there are some times when we have our preferences, right? Whether or not children should jump up and down on the couch. Or, or whether they should, uh, you know, allow certain things to happen that after, after 9 o'clock. Those things are, are to put us in order and there are preferences that we have. And sometimes they're good preferences, but we need to recognize them for what they are. And not elevate them to the place of scripture. But yet, over and over again, as a conciliator, coming in to help churches, often 
what we're dealing with are preferences that have opposition and people are upset because it didn't go the way that they would prefer and as a result they do not have unity. And then finally something that needs to be taught is the value of peacemaking principles. We'll touch on them a little bit this morning but we trust that as a church that has already been exposed to peacemaking principles over the years, uh, that you have resources to, to brush up on these things. But, but the importance of knowing that we have a way in which we can work through issues is, is critical. Uh, on, the, on the training side, people need to be taught how to study the Bible. I am so encouraged with uh, some of the classes that you have in place already that encourage that type of thing. The uh, class that met out the Timothy building on, on the stranger on the road to Emmaus that Michael is teaching uh, just started right out talking about how do you study the Bible. It wasn't much, but it gave us a, an idea of how to look at the Bible in a framework that is beneficial to really understanding the true message of it. The sad thing is that many people know facts about the Bible, but they put them all together in their own preferential way and then try to live that out. But God has a design. They're, they're, this is God's word. And he has a plan for us to understand it well. And that term is a science called hermeneutics, of being able to put together what is God saying to us. And we need to be trained on how to do that so that when we're studying the Bible, we're not just simply getting a devotional response from it. We're actually understanding what God is saying there and utilizing so that we do not get caught up in some potentially divisive concepts or doctrines. Uh, how to spot false doctrine. That's called apologetics. That we need to be trained to know that when we hear something, it does not resonate with the scriptures. The best way to know that is to know what the scriptures say. That we know what it says, and when something doesn't resonate with the scriptures, we should have a little flag that comes up and says, that doesn't seem right. And we should be like the, uh, the ones that Paul said that they were more noble than the Thessalonians, the Bereans were, because they searched the scriptures to see if it were so. And so that should, should be something you should be trained in. And if you're not trained in, you should seek that here uh, at, at, uh, at Calvary. Because you have people that can train you in that, uh, in the uh, uh, hermeneutics and also the apologetics. Another area is how to follow authority. That is not something that we can just learn from the pulpit. That is something we learn through practice. We learn through working through this and, 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 uh, and being able to understand how to follow it's, it's, it's no secret that that's over and over again in the scriptures in a variety of different facets that God talks about order. And he's an orderly God and he does create authorities in our life. And if we think we can surround them, we will be missing out really what God has designed for us to please him, but also we fall prey to division. Another item on there is how to appeal to authority. Often we're told, follow, listen, obey, but not given an option. How do we deal with those things we don't understand? Those things that we are having difficulty following? Those things that we're not sure we should even obey? Do we have a way of dealing with that? When your children are given a directive from you, do they have an option to discuss that? And if so, when? And how? So that they can. And as a church, do we have those options to feel that we can talk about those things so that we can be more confidently align ourselves underneath those who are leading us, uh, how to solve relational problems and relationship problems, to be trained on how to do that 
so often individuals go with the way in which they know. And if I went with the way I know, the way I know is to avoid it. Okay? I am what they call a conflict avoider by nature. And if I did just what the natural thing was or what was common sense to me, it would be never putting myself in a situation where someone could be upset with me or could challenge me in an area in which I want to be comforted in. But I have found from the scripture and I have found from my desire to help other people, that's just not practical. I'm going to have to go into those areas and see from a biblical perspective how I can solve those problems or work towards solving those problems in a biblical fashion. How to speak the truth in love, how to handle complaints, and how to address issues. It's not just about getting things off our chest. It's not just about making sure someone understands us. It's about how do I address an issue to where I can be understood so that I can build that relationship and move forward in unity. It's in these types of things, it's in the lack of training in these areas that can lead to division in our relationships because we are more prone to move away from things that are difficult than to move towards them. And people are more prone to move away from difficult relationships than to move towards them. Difficult people as well. And so this is why we need to be trained in that area. Being trained is typically in areas that we are not most prone to do. If you are prone to do it, you don't need to be trained to do it, okay? It's your second nature. Uh, but I would tell you, based upon uh, 30 years of you know, ministry experience, it's not the second nature of the typical person to respond biblically in times of conflict and difficulty. So that's the areas of training. What's another thing you can do? And I'll go through this rather quickly because I don't want to get bogged down on it. But these are critical things that a church needs to recognize the value of them. Paul is writing to the uh, uh, Titus and says this, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful devote themselves to them. Okay? So these are, are ways in which how do we how do we insist on these things and how do we be devoted to them, making sure there's something in, in place? We can all talk about how we should do something, but until we have it in writing or in agreement, uh, what my thought of should and what you think of don't always correspond. And so it's critical to have these things clearly put together. Uh, the next verse just talks about avoiding foolish controversies, uh, genealogy dissensions and quarrels, all these times. How do we avoid these things? You, you have the directives of preaching these things and training, but there's also some things that we can put into place that help avoid these things. For example, when you have a doctrinal statement, it helps you avoid some of these things. A person coming into your church that doesn't believe your doctrine Right up front, you are a church that believes specifically these truths about God, His Word, and about people, and about all of God's creation. You have specific doctrines, and that helps guard you against the schisms or the divisions. And those who come into your church should be, should be held to what your teachings are as a church to ensure that they are not causing division. 
Another thing is constitution and bylaws. And these are things that need to be updated, and I realize that might be on your agenda. But these help us know how to work together towards God's purpose for this church. And this is how we do it. And we've agreed upon it as a church. And so there's not divisions as, well, this is the way I would do it. This is the way I would do it. The, the Constitution and bylaws help a church know that this is how we be unified around a particular plan. Same thing with the church covenant and with a philosophy of ministry and say, this want to see it played out. These are our vision and mission statements, and this is what we believe God will be honored as we work together in unity. It doesn't help to have a multiple number of plans and hope that we all just kind of do our own thing and come out with uh, uh, something good, because it rarely does, and it tends to encourage division rather than unity. Imagine if Nehemiah had come together and said, hey guys, we got to build a wall, uh, we got to get it done in 40 days, and here's what's going to happen. Um, uh, just, you, do, you just decide where you want to work, what you want to do, when you want to do it, etc., and uh, we'll check back in 40 days and see how well the wall is. Well, they had been doing that for decades and decades and decades before Nehemiah came. I'm sure many of them came over and looked at the gate and said, wow, someone needs to fix that gate. Yeah, they should. Okay. And we'll go on for another 10 years. Wow, someone should fix that gate. Yeah, they should. Uh, and uh, the expectation is someone's going to do it. But a uh, you know, philosophy of ministry helps us be able to push towards that. Core values. As I said, there's a lot of values that we have. But there are some things that we have as a church that these are the non-negotiables. These are the things that we know that we need to have if we're going to reach the people in our community. And we want to ensure that those things don't get sacrificed on the lesser values. And I'll tell you this, from my experience in working with dozens of churches, that is exactly what happens. There are core values that at one time were very important to that church that somehow shifted down because other values got elevated and they find themselves not reaching people for Jesus Christ. They find themselves not discipling people to become like Jesus Christ. They find themselves being so caught up on what they want and do not consider what their community needs because the values have gotten upside down and a church is wise to determine what those core values are and to communicate them and make sure we're all unified around what those might be. Along with that same line is having ministry descriptions, not to get too geek out on this, but it is helpful to know what you're doing as you're serving. And whether this is uh, highly detailed or just generally stated, uh, it helps for us to be unified on what our goals are as we're serving in this particular area. Whether it be in the nursery, youth ministry, uh, music ministry, whatever it might be, that we are seeing a purpose to it and working together uh, in, that, in that realm. Child protection policy is an example of that, that that for years was not even something we cared about. But because the society's wickedness and the need to continue to protect our young people uh, we've we've had to implement those things church-wide even as a missionary I need to sign a child protection policy that I uh, agree to because it's that important all across our nation other policies as well so the value of policies and I, and I don't want to preach on policies but I want us to help us realize that we need to align ourselves under unity and this is these are some of the things that help us to be unified other things uh, that I want to address in the few minutes that I have is how do we 
how do we pursue peace and purity? What are the things we want to do? And this is where I just give a quick summary of what those uh, peacemaking principles are. Uh, some of you know these very detailed, and I put on a workshop that's a whole hour long that gives these in more, more uh, um, uh, details. And I, but I want to give some highlights in regard to what are things that are important as I want to pursue peace and unity and purity with another person. The first thing that needs to happen is we need to prepare. And that preparation has, in the past, usually been my making sure I got all my facts right so that when I come up with this person, I can put them in a line. <laughs> you know? I want to make sure I don't look foolish when I come before this person. So I want to make sure that I have all the information I, I need to convince the other person of my perspective of something. Now, I'm going to say that is important to have because you need to be able to communicate what's on your heart and what your concerns are, what your fears are, etc. But if that's your motivating thing and that's what you, all you prepare you're going to miss out because prayer is a critical element. And as I've worked with individuals in conflict and as various parties and encouraged them to pray and encourage them to read the scriptures, it's amazing to see how that God transforms their heart. I have seen individuals that were on this end and on this end get to the place where they saw things totally different, not because I'm a skilled conciliator, but because God's word is powerful and prayer is powerful. And it changes heart. They change hearts. And uh, I am convinced that if we are not preparing our hearts, those times when we need to meet with someone and address an issue by prayer, then we're going to fall short because we're only doing it in our own power. And as a result, we're going to experience what our power can create. And typically, it's not the best. When my first conflict that I was involved with as a 24-year-old uh, kid, I uh, attempted to help issues, and I remember spending time sitting across from a man who was a professional business person that was old enough, well, older than what my dad could be, and uh, he had more years experience doing what he did as a businessman that I had a life and I'm trying to work through a conflict with him. And I got done with that. And I said, I would have been far better off spending those 90 minutes in prayer. And uh, that was kind of said in a way that I, uh, you know, I didn't get anywhere. But as I look back, I would have been. I would have been better off spending that time in prayer. One of the things that happens, as I've already alluded to, is a heart attitude changes. If my concern is just simply making sure you've got to understand my point of view, then I am going to be focused on that, and it leaves very little wiggle room for God to work on my heart because my heart is already convinced. They're the problem, not me. I'm not interested in looking at any log in my eye because I don't think I have a log in my eye. If that other person or entity would just change, everything would be right. But remember in Corinthians where Paul says there must be divisions or factions so that those who are genuine will be recognized. What does that entail? That entails sometimes our hearts being broken and mended through these processes as we go through the challenges. How do we get to a place where we count it joy in these various trials, as James suggested in James 1, 2, and 3? It's through allowing our hearts to be resigned to God and let God do what God can do 
in a situation like this uh, that we might be going through. So we're looking for hard attitudes. We're looking at what interests are. It's so easy to get stuck on the issues. Party A believes this. Party B believes this. Because party A believes differently than B, that's why there's a conflict. But we assume what the other person's interests are. Well, they're just party A believes that because they're just party A. And I've known party A's family for a long time, and they always do things this way, and that's the way party A's are. And party B does this because, well, they're in such and such position, and because they're in such and such position, they have to do X, Y, and Z. And as a result, and we make these assumptions, and we create these walls, and we draw the the lines in the sand, and as a result, are very content to say, we just got issues that cannot be worked out, but we don't take time to look at what the genuine interest, what is motivating that other person. Because I have found, as I work with church leaders all around our country, that it's not an issue necessarily that there is one party that is totally godly and the other party is totally wicked. Now, these are individuals that love the Lord. Uh, they could grow in maturity in a lot of different ways. They probably made a lot of mistakes, sinned in a ver- various fashions but that they desire good in most cases, but they can't figure out what the true, genuine interests are, and they need someone to come alongside them to help them unpile the things and to be heard and to hear. And then fourthly, is just looking as I'm preparing my heart, what are some possible solutions? There are times when people get so convinced that the only solution is this, the only solution is that, And as a result, they can't be creative. I have found that when individuals work on their heart issues and they're able to work on the heart issues with the other person, creativity opens up. Because we're no longer motivated by fear, no no longer motivated by anger, but motivated by a love and a desire to accomplish some things. The second area is addressing issues and how do we do that? Uh, We see this in a variety of fashions. Uh, throughout uh, Titus, but also just to emphasize these, we should pursue the relationship. Matthew eighteen fifteen says, if your brother offends you, go and tell him your fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother. The point is, we're always focused on winning the argument, but not winning the relationship. And here, Jesus is saying in Matthew, focus on the relationship. Ephesians four twenty nine. If we are talking about words that build up rather than words that tear down, it should be my desire to have words that are going to be seasoned so that they can be heard, so they can be helpful, so they can build. And my goal should be to use my words to encourage and to build up. And those many times can work towards helping someone see what was in their heart. I want to bring to your attention when Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And he also says, why do you look at the you know, speck in, log in your brother's eye, you know, speck in your brother's eye and you have a log in your own eye, that type of thing? He says this, when you take the log out of your own eye, then you're going to be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus never exhorts us to ignore the needs and concerns that we have for someone else's spiritual life. But he does tell us, take care of this part first. And as we do that, we will use words that build up rather than they tear down. Matthew 5, 23 and 24, we're encouraged that as Jesus is talking on the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying this. He's saying, if you're making a sacrifice and there, remember, you have a conflict, uh, your unresolved conflict, drop it. Go and first be reconciled, then come back. That's where it comes in priority 
to what God's idea in regard to pursuing peace and purity. Uh, you also notice there that uh, reconciliation in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 really talks about not letting the sun go down in your wrath or giving place to the devil. When we do not seek to reconcile, we will miss out on the opportunity of seeing uh, Satan put in his place and we open the door to division. Finally, under the area of accountability, there is so much that can be said in regard to this, but there are some goals that you have. One of the goals is forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not something I do just because I should. Forgiveness is a commitment that I have, that I want to move forward and not get stuck in the past. I want to be able to start working with a person instead of working around them. I want to be able to uh, have uh, an ability to see them the way God designed for me to see them. Not to put the grid on there that I will always see them as a person that did blank because they hurt me. But I want to see them as a child of God that is coming alongside me so that I can accomplish what God's, God's purpose is for me. Restoration, Galatians 6.1. You who are spiritual, restore someone else. The whole goal is not just try to find a way to determine that the other person is wrong and uh, eliminate them from whatever we want to eliminate them from. The, the goal is restoration. However, we do know that one part of accountability in our order, in order to accomplish restoration, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 18, 17. He said, if you have to tell it to the church and the person rejects the church, you know, treat them or see them as an unbeliever. And why do we do that? We do that, according to Corinthians, so that they would come to a place of repentance, so that they can be a part of the first two points underneath this point. Because our goal is always, always to try to work towards the unity, not the division in these situations. As I close our time together and try to summarize all this for us, as we try to take on the same task that Paul was suggesting, that we guard against division, is this reminder that unity of our doctrine, what you believe, needs to be clear. We need to stand strong on the truth of God's word and to ensure that we are living by that and not allowing those to come in that would distract from what the pure doctrine of this church is. Second of all is the mission. What do we do? What is it we do here? What is the purpose of this church? Is this church to provide just certain things that make you comfortable? Just so that you can be uh, uh, taught certain things? Or is it designed to accomplish something akin to the Great Commission and reaching people for Jesus Christ? And what is that purpose and mission and how are we going to do that? And then thirdly, relationships. How do I do it? And that's not so much talking about strategy that's talking about culture. Do I love the people I'm with? Do I treat them like I love them? Am I willing to work along with them and work uh, uh, side by side with them? Or am I only willing to tolerate and work around them? And God is calling us to focus on unity and to avoid those divisions. Father, as I 
close our time together here in, in, in my section of, the, of our time of worship. It's been my desire to, to not just give them some practical tools, but also uh, provide some scripture to, to prick their hearts and help them to, to, to see some things that they can work on. Father, you have convicted me in so many different facets how that even though I should be fairly well-versed on all these principles, I find myself failing desperately at times. And I find myself defaulting to my flesh and doing things that I want to have because they're easier for me or because they bring better attention to me than the other. Father, I pray you forgive me for my tendencies and my unwillingness to be obedient to the very things I preach. Uh, but I pray for my friends here that they too, uh, some of them are probably saying, I've known this stuff, I've known this stuff. And maybe some of them have not been practicing them. And I pray that you would convict their hearts, help them to retrain their actions so that they would work towards steps of unity rather than stepping into things that might cause some form of division. Thank you again for the time of preaching your word. And I pray, God, that you would dismiss us uh, as we sing and that our hearts will be bonded together as we lift up our voices in Jesus' name. Amen.